0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. On today's show, I interview Cass Bailey. She is the founder and CEO of Slice Communications, and she believes that integrated public relations, social media and email marketing efforts are critical for growing businesses looking to accomplish all of their business goals. And I have to say this has to have been one of the most diverse conversations I've had on the podcast probably ever. We talked about how Cass started the business in 2008, right before the financial markets crashed, how she and her partner struggled but managed to make it through and in 2010 really started to scale the business. They then brought on some other partners and she talks about how she bought back the business and is now sole owner of Slice Communications. She also shared the five types of content that are most effective to create and what she does when she can't get her mind to shut off. I think you're gonna love this episode, so check it out. My name is Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor. The one thing that I get asked all the time is, how do you achieve success in business an impact. In each episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs and visionaries who share how their leadership has changed not only their lives, but the lives of everybody around them. Hey, could you do me a quick favor? Take a screenshot of this podcast episode right now and post it on your Instagram and tag me and anybody else who you think could benefit from it, especially if you've been finding value. I'm so grateful for you listening. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. This is Emmy Kirshner. And today I have Cass Bailey with me. She is the founder and CEO of Slice Communications. And what I love about her company is that she has seamlessly integrated PR, social media, and email marketing to help her clients be seen, heard, found, and grow. And I think those are three of the hardest things from a marketing perspective that are challenging to do individually and then to integrate all of them. Like just seems unbelievable. So I can hardly wait to hear what you have to share and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So yes, yes, absolutely. Share with everybody a little bit about
1: Slice Communications and and how you founded the company. The company was founded by myself and a partner um, in 2008, in February 2008, which means that we didn't know how bad things were going to be when the company was initially founded. Actually, Mm -hmm. for most of us, the beginning of 2008 was pretty great. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then over the course of, of the two subsequent years, it's really 2008 to 2010, that business just kind of existed. Um, We were both doing it, but it wasn't really so much of a full-time thing for me at the time. In 2010, we realized that we had a real business, that it could support more than just the two of us, and so we started to grow it pretty quickly. And we did that from 2010 to 2012. That's when we had our first set of employees. It's when we got our first office. It was when we got... Smarter about the contracts we had in place and the infrastructure that we built to support the company. And then at the end of 2012, we actually decided to sell a majority of the company. We sold 51% and -hmm. retained between the two of us 49%. That acquisition didn't work out for a lot of reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. Cultural fit was one of them, expectations was another. Us not really doing our due diligence on them, them going through dramatic change in their leadership team. And so in 2014, I bought the company back. I bought out both the founding partner and the acquiring partner and have been running the business here as a 100% owner with an incredible team of people since 2014.
0: Mm -hmm. That is incredible. I have so many questions for you. Sure. Because that's like to start a business and then realize that, hey, like I've got traction and this is actually happening and let's scale to, you know, selling part of it, bringing it back, like that is a lot. And it's a lot of big kind of scary decisions too. So yeah, like at that point that you're realizing like, Hey, we have traction, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we may need to do things a little bit differently if we really want to make this work. What were you thinking? Like, was it, was it like a sudden realization or something that you kind of just grew into?
1: It's something we realized over time. I think that we recognize and we're honest with ourselves about our lack of knowledge and expertise and some basic items that were required to grow the business. So for instance, HR, mm-hmm. finance, bank recs, invoices, understanding right. our numbers, our P and all of those things are areas where we just didn't feel like we had a tremendous amount of strength. I mean, we were both marketing communications people what we were good at was servicing the client. We weren't necessarily great at running the business. And myself personally, I had never taken a business course in my entire life. I right. have a degree in international politics, economics, and philosophy. All of those things are great if your job is to read, write, and think. But if your job is to run a business, those skills actually don't come in hand at all. And right. so we recognized a shortcoming there. We also recognized a shortcoming in sales. Um, we were very fortunate to both have extensive networks. I've been networking actively since I was 19 in wow. the Philadelphia area. Yeah, and, and spent a lot of time out at events, meeting people, growing networks, having coffees, having lunch, and all of that paid off for the business, especially in the early days. It actually continues to pay off for the business today, but we didn't feel like we had any sort of sales training mm-hmm. or process or background to really be able to sell effectively. And we knew that that was also gonna be a barrier to being able to scale the business. Okay,
0: incredible. So what did you do then, like as we were realizing
1: that these were the gaps? The first thing we did was we formed an advisory board. Okay. And our advisory board had three people on it. Um, We had somebody who was an expert in business as well as mergers and acquisitions. We had an, an attorney that we had known for a long time who was on our advisory board. And then we had um, a gentleman who had worked in marketing for a long time and who ran a non-competitive marketing business with his sons. So we had three members of our advisory board and we would go to them in the beginning and like once a month or once a quarter, depending on how quickly the business was growing. And we asked them about challenges that we faced and we asked them for their advice. And they gave us a lot of that high level strategic insight that that we needed. It was actually one of our advisory board members who put us together with the company that ended up acquiring us. Oh wow, that's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I love how the just everything kind of comes not necessarily together, but like one piece and the next piece and everybody's kind of working together. And then even though it didn't work out, the company that that ended up acquiring you or the people that ended up acquiring you was kind of like the next step. So what were you, like, what was the next step for you in your decision-making process of, you know, we want to sell some equity?
1: I think the decision was this, it was, it was founded in a vulnerability and an uh-huh. awareness that we needed strategic business support. Okay, And we ended up selling to a company that was a multi-generational family company that had an HR person and in- had a controller and had a CFO and had a sales team and a sales manager and like all of those things that we thought that we really needed at the time in order to grow our business the way that we thought that we, that we wanted to. And Mm -hmm. so that was what we were hoping to get out of the deal, out of the acquisition. Um, We ended up not getting a whole lot of those things. I think that we weren't necessarily um, capable of doing the full due diligence on that company that we should have done. Mm-hmm. We also weren't necessarily insistent on getting the things that we were promised. Mm-hmm. And I think that they had other focus. Um, they acquired us. And in the in the course of the year they acquired us, they lost uh, three of their four leaders um, within the company. And so that was a real struggle. There were also some internal politics that occurred. And I was not prepared for and frankly did not do. Be particularly well with, and so I think that was a shortcoming. I think there was also a lack of business structure put in place. So if their sales right. team sold something that we offered, there wasn't really any clear outline of how they would be compensated or what the mm-hmm. commission would look like for that. And so right. none of those things were really thought out or thought through. Um, on, on in theory, it was a, a smart strategic acquisition because the service that we offered was one that they struggled to provide to their clients. And on the surface, the business infrastructure that they had was something that we needed, but there wasn't enough attention on, on the right. details and on the culture. Right.
0: Okay. How has that like informed some of the decisions you're making potentially even today? Like how did it change your leadership style and, um, the way you operate at your business now?
1: I got a lot smarter about business operations very quickly. I had right. to,
0: right. um,
1: I I didn't do that on my own. We were lucky to be part of a Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses program. I bought the Mm -hmm. company back in February um, and then I got into that program in May and I got to be part of that program through August for 13 weeks until I graduated. And so having access to that resource and getting really smart about how to operate the business, how to get smart about the numbers, about finance, about HR, about some of those basic business operations was incredibly important. So that happened. Um, mm-hmm. I also shortly thereafter joined EO, the entrepreneurs organization in Philadelphia. And that put me in a room with other really smart entrepreneurs who were all very busy running their businesses. And so I got to learn from them through experience sharing as well. So I think what it forced me to do was get serious about working on the business, not just in the business, Because Mm -hmm. all of those things that we needed before we sold, we still needed after we sold. (laughs) And right, they didn't just go away. They didn't just pretend. I also had a great advantage of being able to work with a sales coach and getting access to a sales coach to get some of those sales skills that were necessary. So I think what, what changed about my leadership was really falling in love with working on the business. But also going out and getting help and mentorship and coaching and advisory and access to incredible people that I didn't necessarily have before.
0: And would you recommend that all business owners do that? I think like that some, some people at least
1: I think that some people have a natural skill and talent for running a business. Good for them. Like that's amazing. <laughs> And maybe those people don't need to go out and get help. Um, But everybody that I know has areas where we have shortcomings, where there are things that we just are not the smartest about. And so I think that anybody who's willing to look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm not great at that, hopefully also has the courage to go out and get help with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's one of my general philosophies that – whether it's
0: a coach, advisory board, a mentor, you need somebody that's outside of yourself because you're not going to see your blind spots. And I love right. how you've, you've encompassed like all sorts of different
1: ways of doing that to help your company grow. I think it's important. And I think that I want to be surrounded by people who constantly want to learn. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that learning is through reading and sometimes it's through experience, but a lot of times it's a around being other people who already have the knowledge and expertise and so right. somebody um, who's very important to my life talked to me about resilience and when you think about buying a company back and I'll tell you when I bought this company back it was losing a lot of money every month mm-hmm. and the thing of which I am most proud is that nobody on my team missed a paycheck I mean I miss lots of paychecks but nobody on my team missed a paycheck and that was right. really really hard but it forced me to look outside of myself to get the help that I needed in order to keep that 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 going and to, to make the business happen, even when um, um, it was at the time financially failing. And so this person is very important to me. He talked about resiliency and talked about how how companies continue, how people continue after something that has been incredibly disruptive. And mm-hmm. what she said is that the people who end up being the most resilient and the businesses that are the most resilient are the ones who, who build networks of people around them. That if you Absolutely. look at, at resiliency as a function of human capacity, that you have significantly increased capacity when you have other humans that are part of it with you. Absolutely, I love that. I think that's brilliant advice. Yeah, she's smart.
0: Yeah, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah. and. I mean, clearly you have built and developed a huge amount of resiliency as you've you know gone through, you know, all the different phases of your business too. Um, is that a primary piece of your leadership?
1: I think that it's something that I think about a lot. Okay. Um, so let me talk, let me tell you a little bit about being a PR person. <laughs> and I've been a PR person for a very long time. Okay. Right. Here's the thing about being a PR person: you will call or email a hundred people a day to pitch them a story. And yes, you call them; you pick up the phone and actually call them. And when and and part of that activity is a tremendous amount of rejection. But you have to just keep emailing and keep picking up the phone and keep getting and keep improving your pitch and making it better and better and better. When I was a young PR person there were a couple different occasions where I had assignment editors or reporters actually make me cry because they said that my story was a stupid idea. Well, oh, wow. that, yeah. I mean, that's just what happened. I had one assignment editor for a broadcast outlet actually tell me that it was a stupid idea that I'd screwed up the story. And, um, later that day he sent on a camera anyway, which was great, right? Like it was totally right. a win, but I knew that it wasn't because I had done a great job. And so being a PR person, I think created this resiliency Mm -hmm. because, because you have to keep pitching the story. There's another thing that happens as a PR person where like you get the reporter to actually agree to do the story and the client then like doesn't have time for the interview or they don't want to do it or they don't like the exact angle that you pitched. And so the client rejects the story. And so it's rejection from both sides over and over and over again. And very rarely in your life as a PR person, are you going to get that big hit? Right. So you're constantly working to try to get that big hit and just taking the punches as they come. And every day you have to get up and do it again. And so I think that, and I loved loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved uh, practicing PR, but it's, it's a really, really hard job. And actually a ton of people burn out of it. Because it is so much rejection.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, it's it's essentially sales. Yeah. And it becomes a numbers game. So I'm curious if you have, like, what is it that you do that allows you to not, one, take it personally, Hmm. and two, just to keep sending out the emails or making the phone calls, um, you know, without getting frustrated?
1: As a young PR person, sometimes I did take it personally. I think that over the years, my skin has just gotten thicker and thicker. I think the other thing that I've learned is that not every story is right for every reporter. And so I look at it as this fun puzzle, right? To find the exact right reporter who's going to understand the story, who's going to get it, who's going to want to tell the story. And then like Mm -hmm. making that story fit for that reporter. So I've (laughs) recognized through PR over the years, like how important fit is. And so that's actually made it easier for me not to take it personally because it's not about me. It's just not a fit. And that lesson is actually one that I've applied to a lot of different parts of the business. When we think about, you know, team members or clients, it's not that they're a bad client. It's not that they're a bad PR person or social media person. It's just the fit is not there. And I have much more awareness of fit than I ever have, but it probably all started when I was a young PR person.
0: So I think that's really incredible. And and I like the neutrality piece of it from the, they're just mm. not a good fit. Yeah. And that's and, okay. Right. Because somebody else can help them and you get to help somebody
1: else that will really resonate with you. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that it's not painful when I think something is the right fit, but somebody else tells me it's not. Yeah. It hurts. Sometimes it's incredibly painful. Sometimes it sends me into a multi-day Funk because somebody's not going to be a client anymore, and I thought they were going to be a great fit, or somebody's not going to be a team member anymore, and I thought they were going to be a great fit. So it does still hurt when it mm-hmm. doesn't work out, especially when I'm really invested in it working out. Right, right. Well, and you've spent time putting a pitch together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean,
0: I'm sure they all become kind of like just little babies, and that like you you learn to love them yeah. as you're creating them, and it's. Um, Yeah. And it's just an incredible journey. And then for the other person not to feel the same way is it is, it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. So so
1: that's when having other people around makes a difference. Right. Uh,
0: We talked a little bit about, you know, the frustration and somebody that made you cry.
1: What makes you laugh? What's like the most fun part of your business? Oh my gosh, there's So many things that make me laugh in the business. My favorite thing is actually um, when we have all team brainstorms. So we all get together and we throw out the craziest possible ideas, the most creative things, the biggest risks we could possibly take for clients. And we come up with some very ridiculous and hilarious things. So all team brainstorms are one of the highlights of the day or the week, depending on what's going on. Some weeks we have a bunch of them, some weeks we have less, but um, having a brainstorm pretty much always makes me laugh. Uh, another thing that makes me laugh is I follow what we do for our clients on social media because we manage their social media accounts. Their LinkedIn, their Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, YouTube, you name it. And there's some clients that let us do very funny things because it is on brand for them and helps them achieve their goals. So sometimes I you know, go to the social feeds and I see something one of our account managers developed and posted, and it really makes me laugh out loud sometimes those things show up on our, our slice feed as well on our slice Instagram in particular, and those uh-huh. sort of things are surprising and they make me laugh. And I really enjoy when I, when I get to experience them. That's amazing. I love that too. Cause it's, yeah. it's almost
0: getting the personality of your clients out to the world. Right. Yeah. How do you generate content? Like I presume you're creating content for your clients. Um, we are. So- yeah. And like, is there a process that you go through or your team members go through?
1: There is. I think there are two important parts. One is that we believe in five types of content. We have mm-hmm. written, so like blog posts, ebooks, white papers, right. um, visual, so like photos, infographics, cool testimonials with like graphical overlays, that sort of thing. Um, audio, which is what we're doing right now, right? Right. That's a form of audio content. Video, which everybody knows what that is. And then finally, experiential. So experiential are, sometimes they're events. Sometimes they're like cool interactive things that you can do on the internet. There's lots of different types of experiential content. So the first thing is that like we believe in five types. So to limit ourselves just to written content, we think actually um, potentially hurts our clients as well as our creative process. So we recognize that there are five. And the second thing that we do is we spend a lot of time working our model. And our model is such that a target audience plus compelling content should create a measurable action. Let's start at the end. So the most important part is what we want people to do when they consume that content, whether it's go to that event or read that blog post, like what do we actually, what action do we want them to take? What do we want them to do? The second most important part is like, who are those people? Like, not just the demographics of them, but their mm-hmm. psychographics. What do they believe? What keeps them up at night? What do they care about? What scares them? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and like more specifically, who are they? When we work with clients who say, well, anybody could be a target audience for us. Well, that's not going to be a good fit because not all of them are going to be the ones most likely to take the action that we want to create. So let's hone in on the ones most likely to take the action. And then that middle part is that content, right? So what do we get, what do we need to say? to those people, that very specific audience, to get them to take those very specific actions. And sometimes it's a straight line and sometimes it's not. So as we develop content, we really think about, like, not, not so much what do we want to say, but what do they want to hear, right? And so when we evaluate content about whether or not it's effective, there are three requirements. One, it's gotta be relevant. It's gotta to matter to them. Whether or not it matters to us, no. It's gotta to matter to them. The second thing is that it's gotta be insightful. It has to add something new to the conversation, a new insight, a new perspective, like something fresh. And then Mm -hmm. the third thing is that it has to be actionable, right? right? That people actually need to be able to take the action that we want them to create. So we think about the five types of content. We think about the model. We really try to put ourselves in the mindset of the target audience. And then we make sure that it is relevant, insightful, and actionable. Cool. You know, I
0: like that. I like that breakdown because it simplifies the, uh, what should I
1: write? Right. (laughs) Well, what do you want people to do? And who are those people? And then it becomes easier to figure out what to write.
0: Yeah. And it becomes more of a formula. So then you can kind of obviously topically different, but write similar things that appeal. um, Yeah. From a stylistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Now you have, and I downloaded it just a bit ago, a really cool ebook Mm -hmm. um, that helps thought leaders create content. So can you share a little bit about that? I know we're going to have a link, um, in the show notes for people that might align with it and want to download it as well.
1: Thank you. So we did it in conjunction with a company called 11 out of 11, and they are content development specialists. Mm -hmm. And the ebook talks about how do you express your thought leadership and then how do you promote it? And our focus in the ebook is really about promoting it because you might have the best blog posts that have the best research and the most insights, but if nobody knows about them or if the most important people don't know that those things exist, then, then who cares, right? Like we've all wasted our time and money. And so when we think about promoting a piece of content and today, it, it used to be that somebody needed to see or hear something seven times before it actually broke through to them. The research today is showing us that that number is closer to 11 to 13, right? So as we're thinking about promoting your thought leadership content, which you're spending a tremendous amount of time and money on, we want to, and we find that it's most effective to create a surround sound. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to receive information in different ways. Some people like to spend time reading really long articles on the internet. Some people prefer to go to events. Some people want to get stuff in their emails. Some people check LinkedIn every day that's, or, or Twitter because that's where they get their information. And so as you're thinking about promoting yourself as a thought leader or somebody within your company as a, as a thought leader, it's important to recognize the diversity of touch points that are important for your target audience because not everybody's going to consume things the same way. Mm-hmm. And so as we think about creating that surround sound, we want to make sure that when they do log into LinkedIn – we're there, or Twitter, or when they do log into Facebook, or, or they're browsing YouTube, we're there. We want to make sure that when they're reading something in a trade journal, or when they're going to an event where there's the speaker, or we've, we've written a bylined article for their trade publication, or maybe we're in their local newspaper. And then we want to make sure that we're showing up proactively in their inbox on a fairly regular basis, not in a way that's annoying, but in a way that you would actually talk to a human being. We want to apply that to To the email effort. And so what we find is that companies that are willing and people that are willing to invest in surround sound for their content actually get much higher return on investment in that content because it's much more likely that people see it, that it actually breaks through to them and that they have an opportunity to interact with it in a meaningful way. Wow. Well, then everybody should download it. I
0: skimmed through the whole thing and I was really impressed with how much value is in the ebook and, and had just a couple of really cool takeaways as well as how I can adjust my content and be a bit more focused. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a cure. I have a question too, and I'm just constantly curious. Um, We talked about, you know, aligning your content and thinking about what it is that, you know, keeps your client up at night. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what keeps you up at night
1: oh geez well first of all my almost two-year-old um, of course <laughs> we are we are transitioning to a toddler bed has uh-huh. not gone smoothly but she would not stay in her crib so yeah. here we are um so she definitely keeps me up at night uh I think that um Scaling the business always keeps me up at night and barriers and obstacles to scaling and to growing Uh different things that are happening with my team members. Keep me up at night. Things that are happening in their personal lives or with their health. I worry about Mm -hmm. them a tremendous amount. And so that often keeps me up at night. Um, Sometimes just things that are happening in the world. I will tell you, and here's like, here's the thing. I have a hard time getting my mind to stop at night. And a lot of people who are in a similar situation to me have have the same sort of thing. You just can't get it to stop. My trick is this. The most amazing interviewer to me in the entire world is Terry Gross. And I love her. Oh my goodness, yes. Yes. I love her. I want to be her when I grow up. Uh huh. And so the thing that actually gets my mind to calm down at night is to listen to fresh air.
0: Yeah. Which for, the, those, yeah. you say, for those of you who don't know, Terry Gross, is, she um, is on NPR yep. and has
1: this incredible show called Fresh Air. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And she's been doing it for 30 years. I actually yeah. went to her 30th anniversary uh, show. And, oh, wow. And she's so smart. And she has so many insights to add. And she has these deep, meaningful conversations with people that when I actually listen to her show, I don't tune it out. It gets my attention and it actually calms my mind. And so the thing that puts me to sleep at night is the amazing Terry Gross and Fresh Air. That's awesome. She has such an amazing voice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to So be her. chill.
0: Yes, absolutely. I love that. I'm gonna try that.
1: Yeah, try that. you should.
0: Yeah. And can very still looking- sleeping. <laughs> I usually sleep pretty well.
1: Oh good! But every
0: once in a while, I definitely like. I'm just so excited about whatever I'm working on or yeah. you know, whatever that my mind's still grinding away and right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to try that. I also want to ask you conversely, like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What keeps you like super excited about you know growing your company and um, you know just just scaling.
1: So once again, my two-year-old gets me up in the morning. Actually, I get her up in the morning, which means that I need to be like showered, hair done, makeup, everything before right. I get her up. Because if you have kids, you know what that's like. Um, so I have to get up before she does. I have this constant fear that at some point she's going to wake up before I do and throw off my whole morning routine. But so far, so good. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one thing. This Another thing that gets me up in the morning is I love the work that we do for our clients. I really truly love it. I love bringing them new ideas and helping them rethink things. But lately I've been really focused on more conceptual and theoretical thoughts about the future of marketing communications. And so luckily I've actually had the time and headspace to do quite a bit of writing and thinking on this topic. Whether it's the thought leadership ebook that you mentioned, Um, Another thing that gets me very excited is how we apply marketing communications techniques to helping companies attract prospective employees. Okay. We've been working on this for about two years, researching employer brand communications or recruitment marketing or whatever you want to call it, and researching it and developing it and writing about it and thinking about it and talking to people about it. And so I'm very excited by this idea of applying traditional marketing communications or digital marketing communications to the recruiting process we've Mm -hmm. been working with clients who tell us their biggest barrier to growth is having enough of the right people and I love 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 working with companies to help them grow and if what it takes is helping them find the right people or attract the right employees and that's what I want to do because I have this awesome network of other CEOs and business owners Um, I, I, I have the ability to understand what's really keeping them up at night and getting them up at the in the morning, and and some of that i started to adopt. Okay, awesome. So, what are some of the
0: things that you're starting to do
1: with um, the employer brand communications work? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's start here. Let's just begin with job descriptions because most of them are <laughs> terrible. <laughs> oh my Can god, they're all awful. Agree? Right. They're awful. Like nobody in their right mind who has any sort of marketing perspective would put that thing out onto the internet. And that's the first interaction that most humans have with a company that could be their employer. Mm -hmm. Right. It's awful. There's no emotional connection at all that's made between this job, this opportunity and the company. We know from research that people make three incredibly important emotional decisions in their lives, who they spend their lives with, who their partner is, where they spend their lives, where they live, and then where they work. It's this incredibly emotional decision. And people choose where they work, not just based on, like, who's going to pay them the most money, but where they have the most opportunity. And yet these job descriptions outline nothing emotional. They don't talk about what the company stands for or what it's like to work there and who's a right fit and who's not a right fit because remember there is no that that's not as clearly defined as black and white right it is more about fit than about right mm-hmm. or wrong and so and so job descriptions are one area but when we start working with a company on this topic we really want to identify the feelings that they want to communicate. And we work with them to develop three to five feelings that they want to communicate to people. And then we help them figure out exactly what messages they need to communicate to prospective employees. I mean, a lot of these companies are are competing with huge multinational brands. And they just don't have the brand awareness. They don't have the the... Um, way to communicate that they are a great place to work. They never put any Mm -hmm. time or energy into it. And with the likelihood that more and more of these companies are going to offer a $15 per hour minimum wage, that makes it even harder for small and medium-sized companies to compete. They can't really compete on wage for certain jobs anymore. And so they have to do something different. And so this whole concept has gotten really exciting to me, In terms of like not just what are the emotional connections you want to make, but then how do we make sure that that shows up every day, even in something as terrible as a job description?
0: I think that is so brilliant because you can take, like, once the company has identified their core values, their feelings, their mission, which I believe most companies have not done. Mm. I mean, you can use that process with your not only your employees, but like your clients, your
1: customers, like everybody. Yeah. Like that's the no. foundation. Right. Right. But it, in a lot of cases, it does start with employees and prospective employees.
0: Right. Absolutely. I, I think that's Fantastic.
1: Yeah, so that's been getting me up in the morning because it's this fun new challenge. I mean, I've been helping companies and we've been helping companies market their products and services to customers and clients for the past fifteen years, twelve years, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But now we're taking that and applying it to a totally new audience in a way that's that can create meaningful growth for a company. And that's really exciting. It makes me rethink a lot of what we're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of hone and focus. And, and really creating that connectedness. Mm-hmm. because We're still spending the bulk of our time at work, whether we're there in physical, you know, a physical location or we're working virtually.
1: Right. So we are. And so if we know that a place has a certain feeling, we'll be much more likely to say that's the feeling I want, or that's not the feeling I want. Mm-hmm. And so when we show up and we get that feeling, we're not going to be surprised.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So you'll have more better fits. That's right. Yay. I love Mm -hmm. everything that you have shared. And I think my favorite part of our conversation has been how transparent that you have been about building the business, selling the business, buying it back, like everything. And you, you know, just as, um, you know, the person running it, and not trying to maintain a high level of perfection, you know, saying that you, there's days that you feel really frustrated that somebody doesn't want you, you know, your pitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that's so valuable, particularly in this day and age where it's easier to gloss over just
1: top level stuff. That's something that's definitely evolved uh, for me, especially recently. So Slice was started when I was 26. And initially I was really insecure about being 26 and my partner and I were called the slice girls, which is possibly one of the worst things that you could call owners of a company who want to be taken seriously. And so, so I built this like very tough armor. Um, Mm -hmm um for a long time because I had this insecurity about being a young woman and I had this insecurity about sitting down in rooms with CEOs and telling them what to do which is part of my job as a consultant and so in a lot of ways like I wasn't allowed to show any weakness and you know there was also a tremendous amount of shame that came with the acquisition failing um I'm going through a divorce right now there's a tremendous amount of shame that has come with that divorce Um, but coming out of it and going through all of these things, at some point I'm starting to accept myself as I am and that this is my story and these are the things that worked out for me and these are the things that did not work out for me and they, they just are, they just are. And so, um, radical acceptance is still something that I work on every day. It's not something that I'm great at, but I'm finding the more that I can accept all of these things and be honest with myself and other people about them. Um, the better position I will be to be a good mom and a good business owner and a good leader and a good board member and a good um daughter and a good girlfriend and a good friend. And so mm-hmm. it's it's definitely a work in progress, but having the opportunity to talk through it with you on this podcast in this place that feels very safe, even though I know that I'm being vulnerable in these ways, that might come back to feel really uncomfortable. Sometimes, sometimes that's what I feel like I have to do to grow.
0: Exactly. And know that there are people listening that are going through at least one, if not, you know, multiple pieces that you've either been through or going through right now. And what I've found at least is by sharing that, it gives everybody just a better sense of I'm not the only one.
1: Mm. And we're
0: not. No. No, and that's, I think, what's most important is really understanding that regardless of how challenging things are, or even, you know, I mean, to other ends, like when things are spectacular, we're not the only one experiencing that, mm. and and to find some comfort and joy in being able to share the good things and learn from the things that are more difficult. Yeah. So it's, it's thank hard. really yeah, I really honor our conversation and your time and you as a person. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, thank you for this opportunity. I yeah. love the fact that you were willing to ask me these questions that nobody's asked before, and that we were able to go through all these different paths in the conversation and, mm-hmm. and and know that we're still both on our path.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. For people who want to connect with you,
1: where can they find you? I'm one of the easiest people to find on the internet. Um, I have, you can find me under Cassandra Bailey on LinkedIn. You can find me at slicecommunications.com. I'm on Twitter under Cassapedia. I'm on Instagram. I mean, you name it, you can find me. Awesome.
0: Okay. Well, we'll hook up all the links, uh, as well in the show notes so people can reach out to you. And again, thank you so much for being on. It's really been a great time talking with you. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. And everybody who's. You're welcome. And to everybody who's listening, we will see you next week. As an entrepreneur, do you ever feel isolated, like you're just grinding away and not getting to the place or reaching the goals that you want. Maybe you've realized that you just spent days, weeks, or even months trying to accomplish something only to figure out that the answer that you have would have saved you all of that time. I know I've had that experience and my clients have as well. And that's why I created the Tribe of Leaders Biz School. Get the accountability, the training, and the knowledge base in a community of like-minded people who are there to support you. Go ahead and check it out. It's thetribeofleaders.com.